You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hey, hello, and welcome back to Recovering Faith Podcast. This is the 66th episode. And uh, so I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to 100 episodes. I've uh, got a little more than 25 to go, but when I get to 100 episodes, I'm going to have to do something special. I'm just not sure what yet. So uh, I've talked a lot about lately about teaching vacational Bible school at the church that I go to. Well, this last week was the last week of of VBS, and uh, this little boy comes up to me and gives me a hug and says, Thank you for teaching me about the Bible, Mr. Gene. And I thought that was really sweet. And, you know, I had a good experience, and I'm really glad that I volunteered to teach VBS. But, of course, it was a lot of work, and it required a lot of time, so I'm also glad that it's over. Well, anyhow, um, without a doubt, I have a few bad habits, and uh, it seems that bad habits are a lot easier to maintain than good habits are, precisely because they are. Bad habits require little effort to maintain. But good habits, on the other hand, require effort and dedication. One of the good habits that I've been able to maintain with a fair amount of success is keeping a journal. And sometimes I go years without missing a single day. But this is not one of those years. I can't tell you how many times I thought that I correctly remembered how something happened, only to go back and read my journal entry for that day and realize that I remembered the event completely wrong. This episode is not about journal keeping or even about memory or how our current paradigm colors and changes our perceived reality of the past, all of which could be interesting and noteworthy topics, but rather I am only mentioning journaling because it's a jumping off point to what I actually do want to talk about today, since today's topic is something I was recently thinking about, and I wrote a lot of my thoughts about it in my journal. A few days ago, I wrote in my journal about how a lot of cultures have coming-of-age rituals or rite of passages to mark the transition from child to adult and how and why I think it's important to celebrate or mark the transition into adulthood. What I wrote in my journal is the most basic of thoughts on the subject, just the bare minimum to understand my mindset on the issue and why I was thinking about it in the first place. So, just because I'm pretty good about keeping a journal doesn't mean that I always fully expound upon my thoughts. But what got me thinking about the subject of the rite of passage in the first place was a podcast I was listening to where, as part of the conversation, uh, rite of passage rituals are mentioned. One of the events or rite of passages that 
marks a transition from child to adult that was discussed on that particular episode was about the ritual of the Satur Malwe, um, probably not saying that right, people, who live in the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. The Malwe people, or in the Malwe culture, the boys have to prove that uh, they are ready to become man before they're accepted as one. The ritual, uh, in the ritual, the Malwe boys who want to be thought of as men participate in, it involves capturing bullet ants and bringing them to their elders who temporarily render the ants unconscious by using a natural sedative and then sewing them into large mittens so their stingers face inward. Once the mittens are complete and the ants are no longer sedated, the boys have to put the gloves on for a full five minutes and be subjected to the ants stinging them dozens or even hundreds of times. Now, at this point, I think it's important to mention that the bullet ant sting is so excruciatingly painful that it's compared to being shot with a bullet. And the pain can last upwards of 24 hours, uh, and it comes and goes in waves, and it can cause uncontrollable shaking, nausea, muscular paralysis, disorientation, and even hallucinations. Doing this once would be bad enough, but to be accepted as a man, the boys must don the glove and uh, endure the worst kind of pain for a total of 20 times over the course of several months. Any boy who refuses to perform the ritual or any who doesn't complete the ritual will be, for the rest of his life, looked at as a, as a cowardly boy and never a man, and will be an outcast among his people. For most boys of the Maui culture, the pain of being an outcast and a coward greatly outweighs the pain of the bullet ant sting, so they willingly and eagerly participate in a dangerous ritual. Another particularly dangerous coming-of-age ritual uh, is that practiced by the young men of the Pentecost Island called the Leap of Faith to prove that they are ready to be men. The boys have vines tied around their legs and jumps off a higher platform high in the trees. Any young man who is jumping has to trust that the one who has prepared the vine measured accurately and that he will not come to an untimely death when his head meets the ground. The idea is to stop with your head as close to the ground as you can without actually hitting it. And I don't think I have to explain what may potentially go wrong. If the vine was too long, or if it was not tied properly, the young man would transition into the afterlife instead of transitioning into adulthood. I completely acknowledge that the practice of intentionally allowing a bullet ant to uh, sting you is insane, and any medical professional would strongly recommend against it. And I also completely acknowledge that jumping from a platform with a vine tied around your ankles is also insane. But... There is something to be said for coming-of-age rituals, and I think that so long as they are not dangerous, they can do an immense amount of good. Those practices I mentioned are, of course, extreme examples of a coming-of-age ritual. But there are a lot of more common and sane coming-of-age rituals around the world, and some of them make a lot of sense, like that of the Inuit coming-of-age tradition where the young men have to go out into the wilderness 
with their fathers to prove they are capable of surviving in the harsh weather and that they are adequate hunters. The tradition makes uh, so much sense because of the culture. Uh, the entire culture revolves around hunting, and the livelihood of most of the people is dependent upon the men being successful hunters. And if a man can't hunt, he can't provide for his family. And if he can't survive in the wilderness, then he can't be a successful hunter. So basically, uh, the young men are prepared for adulthood by being taught how to hunt and taught other things. And then this coming-of-age ritual is they have to prove that they actually learned what they're supposed to. And in that sense, I think a lot of coming-of-age rituals are good because uh, you were taught the things you needed to know to be an adult, and then at this point, it marks the transition when you actually become an adult and you demonstrate that you knew what you were taught, and, and that's a good thing. Because then a lot of times people aren't prepared for becoming an adult. Uh, especially nowadays where every, there's participation trophies and everybody's told that they're a winner even though they're not. And then kids that are taught that everybody's a winner goes out into the real world and realizes that in the real world people expect results. And you don't get a trophy for just being there. You get a trophy, or sometimes you, uh, all you get is you get paid for your effort. But if you don't, if you don't uh, provide results, you don't get anything. And so it's a disservice to not prepare kids for properly preparing for adulthood. Um, in the Amish culture, the coming of age tradition is called Rumspringa. And it takes place when the Amish youth turn 16. And when they turn 16, they're allowed to go um, unsupervised, uh, have unsupervised weekends away from their family and the Amish community to decide whether or not they actually want to be part of the Amish community. The Amish don't want anyone to be part of the community who doesn't actually want to be there. And they feel that in order to be able to make an informed choice, the youth must know what is on the outside so that they know what they're treading for an Amish life if they choose to remain in their community. Um, also, since they've already lived in the Amish community, if they decide not to come back, then they know what they're giving up to live in the outside world. The Amish who don't want uh, the Amish kids who experience the outside world and choose to remain part of it instead of coming back to the Amish community, um, they're allowed to do so. It's discouraged, of course, but they're allowed to do so. And once the youth, once young people have experienced the outside world and choose to remain part of the Amish community, then they're baptized, and once they're baptized, they're expected to remain faithful to uh, the Amish faith for the rest of their life because it was their choice to be baptized and to join it. Uh, similarly, if a young person chooses to remain on the, in the outside world and does not return to the community before they are 26, then they're not welcome back. There are probably as many coming-of-age rituals as there are cultures, and the majority of them are mostly celebrations to mark the transitions into adulthood and 
In most cultures, the child is given a lot of preparation and instructions before they reach the age of adulthood so that they can be a successful adult and a productive member of the community. In uh, Jewish culture, um, they have a bar mitzvah for boys and bat mitzvah for girls. And that's their coming-of-age ritual. And one of the things they have to do is they have to um, have memorized part of the Torah and they have to be able to uh, they have to be able to read the Torah and some other things. And so basically, they're demonstrating that they're ready to be an adult. Uh, my family, however, is not like the rest of the world and did not have any rituals, celebrations, rite of passages, or anything else to signify coming of age. And in a way, I feel like I was done a disservice by not having something to mark the occasion. The closest thing I ever had to a coming-of-age ritual was when my father forced me to drink a beer when I was 12 and then punished me for drinking it. Yeah, I had a really charming father. When I was growing up, not only didn't I, uh, not only did I not have a solid male role model to look up to, which meant that I had no idea what it meant to be a man. My father also treated me like I would never be a man, regardless of how old I got. While most of what I will discuss can be universally applied to both men and women, I will be approaching it from the perspective of transitioning from a boy to man, as I obviously have no experience in transitioning from girl to woman, and anything I gleaned from observing my sisters is secondhand at best and completely misunderstood and misrepresented at worst. So, I will stick to what, with what I understand, or at least what I have deluded myself into thinking that I understand. I have worked mostly full-time since I was 14 years old, and even before that, I, did, I uh, worked for my parents. And I was paying most of the bills during my teenage years. Despite the fact that I had many adult responsibilities thrust upon me long before I was an adult, I did not feel like a man when I legally became one, and I was not rightly sure what it should feel like or what it even meant to be a man. My father and all of those he associated with were, at least in my mind, prime examples of how not to be a man. So I turned to the only other place I knew how to find a male role model, and that was television and books. Of course, when I was growing up, television was a lot different than it is today, and practically all shows were didactic in nature and taught some moral lesson, where today's shows either don't teach a moral lesson or they teach entirely the wrong sort of morals altogether, uh, which basically they teach the opposite of morals. Gone are the days of heroes, as they have been replaced with anti-heroes, who would have been the villains in earlier shows. Even the Batman and Superman of today don't have the morals they espoused when I was growing up. Uh, when I was growing up, Batman and Superman would never kill anybody, even the bad guy. Uh, they wouldn't even let them die, they'd make sure they survived. But in today's Batman and Superman, uh, they either kill people or allow people to die, 
and most of the heroes anymore in the TV shows aren't just straight out heroes there. They have ambiguous morals, kind of. Um, they just some, they do all kind of bad things, but generally wind up having the right result. So everybody just thinks it's okay. When I was growing up, my heroes were the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Chuck Norris, long before he became a meme and a series of jokes, John Wayne, and of course Hulk Hogan. Uh, when I was younger, I, I don't remember how old I was, but when I was younger, there's this TV show on called uh, Walker, Texas Ranger that starred Chuck Norris, and that was one of my favorite shows. And it wasn't until a few years later that all these Chuck Norris jokes started coming out. And um, and I don't get me wrong, I like the Chuck Norris jokes, and I think he probably does too. But he's admitted that he has absolutely no idea where how the jokes got started. So, anyhow, uh, I would have given anything to have had a male role model when I was growing up to teach me how to become a man. But television and books were the best I could hope for. Of course, even though it was not supposed to be primarily her responsibility, a lot of what I learned about being a good man and a responsible adult I learned from my mother. Some of what I learned about being a man from my mother and from the television shows and movies I watched is that a man never hits a woman. He stands up for what is right regardless of the cost. He helps those in need. He protects the weak. He's always polite and respectful to women, children, and the elderly. He obeys the law, and he works for everything he has, and he does not expect anyone else to take care of him. And he doesn't think that anyone owes him anything other than what he's earned. When I became an adult in the eyes of the law, people generally expected me to act like an adult and I did my best to play the part, but I didn't feel much like an adult. And I had no idea how to accurately determine when I'd made it. At this point in my life, crowding 40, I've been an adult much longer than I was a child. But at times, I'm still not quite sure that I'm adult enough, whatever that means. Try as I might, I am unable to determine when I actually started feeling like an adult or viewing myself as an adult. I just realized one day that I was an adult and that I had been so for a long time. For some people, getting their driver's license is the thing that makes them feel like an adult, but it didn't make me feel like an adult, though it did offer me a significant amount of freedom that I didn't previously possess. When I purchased my first car, a 1983 Subaru GL station wagon, that the third and fifth gears didn't work, I was also given a lot of extra responsibility as I had to drive my sisters to their jobs or wherever else they needed to go. And sometimes I provide rides to my older coworkers as well. Growing up is difficult and it was bad enough with all of the absent fathers of my generation, but now it's almost considered a crime by popular culture to teach a boy how to be a man, 
and anything that was typically thought of that made a man a man is now considered to be toxic, and boys are raised to think that it's wrong to be a man. In today's culture, the term man has been changed, and now the term means whatever the person using it wants it to mean. And the youth of today are being taught that they can do whatever they want so long as the end justifies the means. No wonder there are so many boys in men's bodies wandering around lost and desperately searching for meaning. No wonder women lament that they can no longer that they can't find a good man. I firmly believe that it's a parent's job to train their children to be proper adults, which will equally benefit the child and society at large. I also believe that if a person is not given proper structure and teachings when they are growing up and not given an appropriate rite of passage, they will seek to find one on their own. And what they find is not typically good or wholesome. Some of the rite of passage rituals that young people do in lieu of proper ones provided by responsible adults are underage drinking, promiscuity, drugs, shoplifting, and many other dangerous and sinful activities. And they're doing it. Kids feel like if they're if they're not given something productive and told, hey, this is what you need to do to be an adult, they're going to find something that society tells them that they need to do to be an adult. And most of the time they regret it. Children need guidance. The reason insurance companies uh, charge so much uh, for young drivers isn't because young drivers lack the skills to be good drivers, though many of them do. The real reason they charge so much is because teenagers make poor choices. I made poor choices when I was young, and without knowing anything about you, I can say with complete certainty that you made foolish and stupid choices when you were young, and if you are young now, that you are making or will make poor choices. The adult role models should help those young people they mentor to make wise choices. And despite the fact that we often think we know everything when we are young, regardless of how intelligent a person is, some things can only be learned through age and experience, two things the young people lack. And so it's good to learn those lessons from people who have already learned them rather than learning them the hard way. Hopefully, all of you who are young have good Christian parents who are good role models and mentors to you. But if you're not fortunate in that area, um, I would strongly urge you to find a, a godly person in your church to help you guide you through the hurdles of life. The Bible is full of examples of people who righteously mentored another person and helped them navigate the uncertainties of life and helped them to prepare for the tasks and responsibilities that they would inevitably face for the future. Um, I won't talk about most of the mentor relationships in the Bible. But I will spend a little time talking about Jethro, the mentor who taught Moses, and Joshua, the man who was mentored by Moses. Moses was mentored by his father-in-law, Jethro, and even after Moses was the prophet and leading the nation of Israel, he still needed the wise counsel of his father-in-law, who had many more years of experience than he himself did. In turn, Moses mentored Joshua, 
and made sure that he was prepared for the arduous task of leading the people of Israel. Moses knew that he would never cross the Jordan and that he would not be the one to lead the people into battle against the other nations. Uh, And he knew that he wouldn't be the one that led them to victory and he would never see the promised land. But he knew that Joshua would. Moses felt no animosity toward Joshua for taking his place and he prepared him well for the task. Joshua never thought he knew better than Moses and refused to take his counsel. And, of course, Moses never berated Joshua and treated him like he was lesser either, but but it was an appropriate relationship, and he taught him what he needed to know. Had Joshua not been trained and guided by Moses, he would not have been able to lead the people, much less march victoriously through a hostile enemy to their promised land. I guarantee you that when the time came for Joshua to take over leading the people, he was scared. But he also had the confidence and the knowledge necessary to handle the task because he was taught by Moses. And one of the important things that he was taught by Moses is to follow the Lord, and because of that he had the Lord with him when he crossed Jordan. Earlier, I mentioned that young people need to have older people as a mentor, but I also think it's important for older people to reach out and to help those of the younger generation. Even though even those whom they are not related to. It has been a great blessing in my life to be friends with older Christians, and I try to be a good example and a good mentor to those who are younger than I am. Well, that is all I've got for today. I'd actually planned uh, some more, and I actually had a longer, uh, some other stuff written down, but then somehow what I wrote didn't save, and then so I basically was uh, had to recreate everything from memory at last minute. So, you know, technical difficulties, first of all, world problems, you know. So, anyhow, thanks for listening, and God bless. And if you haven't already, please uh, rate and review this uh, show on Amazon, or not Amazon, but iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're listening. Um give it a if you like it give it a five star review and or a five star rating and a review uh if you like this episode or any other episode share them with your friends or family and if you have any questions or comments please feel free to either comment on uh, the episode or to go to the uh, contact page and just send me an email catch you next time Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.